And we're back. Durin Show, episode six. Uh, Matt Mitchell, good to have you here. And tonight, for the first time ever, we have a guest with us. Pat, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, super stoked to have you on. Why don't you give us a little bit a little bit of a background? Um, I guess maybe I'll, before we get the background, I guess I'll start with uh, how I met you. I got connected with you. I want to say a year and a half ago, right as the new edition came out, you were running an event down in the Portland area, and you were kind enough to let Mitchell and I come down and play in the play in the little one day get together. And I think that's the first time I met you. Yeah, I think I uh, that was the first time I met uh, yeah all three of you actually. So uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was fun to have uh, to start to see the the community expand outside of just uh, the Portland area and start to see the regional sort of community pull together a little bit more. And now we have tournaments in yeah Seattle. I mean Vancouver, BC. Those guys have been running forever. So but yeah, down in Portland. So yeah, it's been fun to bounce bounce around in that little circuit. You say it so politely, but what you really, what you really were probably feeling was, oh my goodness, how many Hammonds are there? Because they just keep coming out of everywhere. There's more. <laughs> I, I feel bad that first night. It took me forever to to get all of your names straight. Uh, I felt pretty pretty uh, pretty bad after uh, after mucking it up uh, two or three times. Yeah, how could you with all of our names starting with M's? How could you? <laughs> I think the funniest iteration of that because we've been putting up with that for years but at nova last year marcus and i've been going around and myers our other brother showed up just randomly and started watching games and people were just staring at him like there's another one <laughs> <laughs> oh i forgot about that <laughs> like that's not mitchell right I'm like no no that's myers yeah <laughs> there's another one haunting around somewhere so that that event was my first ever tournament so like pat was enshrined as like the the grand poobah of Middle Earth SBG forever because he, he ran my first tournament and settled rules disputes as Marcus whooped me. Although I'm still somewhat suspicious of that first lineup because Marcus, didn't you play everybody from the Seattle group? I think that day, but anyways. He played yeah, Matt first, worse. me second, yeah. and then Nick third. Uh, that was funny. You traveled all the way down and... <laughs> Oh, awesome. Yeah, I, again, boy, I learned a fair <laughs> bit about that. And uh, I think the next one I ran, it was, uh, I think I made the decision. Uh, no, you'll play someone from outside your region in round one. So, well, it's hard I remember telling like Marcus because we played each other. Down. I remember playing Marcus round one and I said, now don't take it easy on me because this is my first tournament. And then I like 10 minutes later, I was like, take it easy on me. Take it easy on me. <laughs> Pat said this is a two hour round. <laughs> it's done in like 30 minutes. Uh, that was the tournament to my folly when I played Marcus. I argued that uh, reconnoiter because that was still up in the air of the dispute of whether or not you run your models out. Do they count as being on the battlefield or not? And I argued the wrong way and it bit me because uh, Marcus ran all his guys off third turn and the game ended. The super sprinty Urukai. Yep, yep. We we another one we have subsequently figured out how to how to adjudicate that rule correctly. I love uh, how we're low-key roasting Pat right now for all of these issues, but this was like two months after the new rules came out. Jeez, guys. To this day, no, honestly, I, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not taking it that way. To this day, that was actually probably 
one of the most fun tournaments I've ever been to. It was yes. super, super oh, fun. Yeah. Amazing, amazing train. Great people. Uh, great drinks afterwards. It was just, I always remember that tournament. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. It was, uh, it definitely encouraged me to keep, want to keep kind of that that thing going a little bit more than we had prior to that point. So that was kind of our sort of kicking off point for being able to run them, I think, a little more regularly, which was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, because right now you have pretty much two marquee events a year, right? You have one in the late winter, one in the mid-fall range. Uh, probably the one in the, the fall is probably our, our big one. And then, um, we'll just kind of fill in the others as, as we can. They're, they tend to be a little bit more casual. It seems like folks have enjoyed the, uh, the kind of that February, March one that we've done. So. Awesome. Which we were able to squeeze one in before, uh, before everything shut down. So. Yeah. Hopefully and, it'll uh, all be back to normal for the fall event. And are you still tentatively planning to host one in, uh, was it July I saw on the thread? Uh, we, I put the date out there as a placeholder, and uh, I, I'm hopeful that if we have a chance to do it, we'll, we'll be able to do it. But, you know, we'll just have to kind of see how things go. Lockdowns and shutdowns pending. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, the well, tournament I'm doing in June is kind of the same thing. Just kind of waiting, because honestly, it's up to the store whether or not they want to open it up or not so i'm kind of holding my breath for that one too but i figured we'd we wouldn't have one if i didn't put a placeholder out there so it was at least better to get a placeholder out there smart yeah at least this gives us hope of a competitive event coming up again right something to look forward to but pat i'm sorry i, I totally interrupted and derailed your your intro so talk to us a little bit about how long have you been playing this game how long have you been into it um yeah, and some of the, the some of that background. Sure. Um, so I bought the game, the original Green Fellowship starter box back in two thousand one, literally on the day that it arrived at my uh, local friendly local game store. So, holy cow! Uh, uh, and have been into the game ever since. Uh, you would think that that would make me an experienced player. And I would say that that is probably uh, not necessarily the case. I, I think I've recently graduated from novice to, to intermediate, but um, uh, we, you know, it, back then it was just hard to find players and we really only had one, had one other player locally that uh, was uh, interested in playing the game. So we, we would play, but I mean, we like to play other games too. So we didn't exclusively play, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings back then. I mean, maybe I played a, probably not even 10 games total. And my, my kids got a little older and life got in the way and I, the game kind of took a downturn for a while. And so I, I was out of the game for a good 10 years and then only recently got back in maybe just a little before that tournament, maybe a year or so before that tournament uh, went up to one of the, you know, the tournaments in Vancouver, British Columbia and uh, have been trying to play, play more and paint more and, uh, you know, do that. But so it's been, it's been fun. And I, I've kind of had to relearn the game all over just because of it, you know, after not playing for 10 years, I had forgotten so much of it, but uh, it's been fun. It's just, I, I love the game. It's super fun. I'm 
super glad that we have a community that is broader and bigger and we can actually have events on a more regular basis and uh certainly you know things like facebook uh, facebook groups have sort of helped pull that group together and people players can find each other a little bit more easily now than maybe they could back back when it started well, i think absolutely. that's a great point because when i got into the the game here like all like the stores would say yeah nobody plays that and then you know you just open a facebook page in texas and you find there's like 30 people around that all play it but we never would have found each other without facebook so that's an excellent point so did you pat did you collect a lot of your armies before the break the 10-year hiatus or did you collect them after the hiatus yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> well played well played uh yeah I, I have a ton of i have a ton of models from before and and actually a lot of models that when I there was a period where I just felt like I had been out of the game for a long time and it felt like the game was dying so I I had a hunk of like just several boxes of metal blisters that oh, I sold off on eBay no. I know which I super regret um, <laughs> but uh, you know when I started get back into the game again I, I've I've had to reacquire a lot um, and and some of it's been harder to reacquire fortunately with GW now reproducing a lot, they're, they're bringing a lot back. That's made life a lot easier. So there were a few painful eBay purchases I had to make, but not, not too many. So nothing as painful as Radagast. I'll slay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Uh, let's talk about the FAQ again while we're at it. <laughs> How about those three inches? It's interesting uh, to me, Pat, that you uh, you took the break because I would never have known it. Because honestly, uh, to me, you're one of the people who has the best grasp of the rule system. And I often turn to you, honestly, and a couple others, but you are one of the, my main ones to go to for rules disputes. So oh, yeah. I never would have known um, you had the break as you did because you have one of the best grasps of the rule book, I think. Oh, it's yeah. all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> it's quality smoke and mirrors, though. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I, I try to keep abreast of the rules, but uh, and then of course forget to apply them correctly to, in the middle of games all the time, which is uh, which is always a blast. But uh, but no, yeah, I mean I, I I I've tried to keep on top of it. So I and having to again run tournaments, you, you feel like you kind of need to keep to be kind of need to be on top of the rules a little bit. So yeah, that that experience though, you make it. You, your humility is is superb, but you your grasp of the rules, your ability to articulate them, and just your overall uh, experience when it comes to those things make the experience when we every time I come down to an event in Portland, it's always top tier because everything's laid yes. out, everything is defined, everything is everything is thought through. So it allows me as just a gamer to come down and have a blast playing on you know, beautiful tables and playing great games because everything's already been defined and laid out and, and, and defined. And I'll give you an example for everybody that is only listening. Like when we came down, I think it's every single time, each table that you have is unique, but it also comes with its own like rules pack describing things like terrain, what is difficult, what is not, what's climbable, what is not. Basically a cheat sheet for the board that you're playing on 
So you can, within 10 or 15, 10 or 20 seconds, you can quickly understand, you know, what the dynamic is that you're about to play and then just put your models on the board and start playing. And it's, it's a blast. You don't have any of those weird issues where can this move? Can this not, is this wheat field difficult? What is this fence? You know, you're not asking those late game right before the time expires. I also appreciate that you've given descriptions of how they interact with the scenario that you played. So like you also print out all the scenarios that we're going to play that tournament and then what board we're on. Okay. This has to do domination or whatever we're doing. Hold ground. This is how you interact with this particular board. It was, it's just awesome. Jeez. Thanks guys. (laughs) We're really impressed. No, it's, it's always, it's always a blast to go down to play, to play tournaments in Portland. And the, the hidden gym is the fact that the bar is part of yes. the game area. <laughs> so if the dice are not going your way as, well, maybe my bar tabs speak for themselves. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I am, I am, it's, it's, it's good to play in a place that has a bar. So it's just, that's a, that's a bonus. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Cheers. Well, on that note, I think it would be cool to segue into kind of our our hobby our hobby section. And obviously, you have a ton of armies. You have beautiful armies. We'll get to those later. But we hinted to your tournament scene, your terrain, the quantity of boards that you personally can field. Would love to start talking about that and kind of start unpacking that a little bit because it's. It's truly amazing for anybody that hasn't experienced it. Uh, bar none, the highest quality boards I've played on, and you field an, an endless amount of them. So, <laughs> when did you get into the when did you get into the terrain part of the hobby? So, it, it sort of I I don't know that I really ever made a conscious you know f or decision that oh man I'm just I'm a terrain buff and that that sort of appeals to me so that's what I want to do. Um, it really sort of I started from a standpoint of I, I want to try to build a little bit of a local community. And and to do that, I felt like we needed to host some some tournaments on a fairly regular basis. And um, I mean, as everyone knows, Game Store Terrain is look, I mean, everybody plays on it. It's always beat to heck. It's it's you know, if you if you can even you know, put a, you know, four or five trees out there, you're, you're doing well. So I kind of felt like, all right, well, if I'm going to, and I, I didn't want to have to ask other people to bring terrain and have to keep track of who brought what and what went on what table. So I just kind of felt like, you know what, I'll just supply all the terrain myself. It's just not that hard to pull together the terrain. So I kind of threw a combination of buying, buying terrain and making terrain just started with, I think it was, I think our first tournament we had before you guys even came down, we had a couple, uh, four tables, maybe five tables worth of terrain. And then it just sort of expanded from there. Uh, as the, we, we'd announce a tournament and I'd see the, the number of entrants and get panicked that, uh, oh my gosh, I don't have enough uh, terrain to cover that many people and start madly creating more or buying more. And uh, just it's just sort of expanded from there. Uh, one, one may say I have a problem at the moment. I'm pretty sure my wife would say I have a problem because uh, I think she would like to reclaim a little more of the garage, but. Uh... <laughs> 
it's not a problem. It's a hobby. Come on. Yeah, I, I have a problem. I have a storage problem. <laughs> so what, what I'm trying to remember when we came down for that first event where Matt, Mitchell, and I all were playing at the same time, you had a lot of Rohan inspired. It, it seems like Rohan inspired foresty woodland, you know, village uh, boards to some degree or other was that an intentional theme or is that just something that you really enjoy because you have you have stark boards the other way but you have a lot of um really rohan inspired it's almost like you were inspiring the games workshop release of the rohan uh, packs <laughs> that they that they just churned out this last couple months or six months ago whatever that was no i i think what sort of led to again it, it's all based on practicality and what i can what i can store and what i can uh, pull together so i i don't really have and or didn't want to create the sort of big static boards made out of um foam that are you know kind of sculpted and, and that literally take up a four by four space um and look don't it's not that i don't like those boards or I mean, when when great terrain makers build them, they're they're gorgeous. They look fantastic, uh, but I really just wanted to be able to have scatter terrain that I could store in a tub and stack a bunch of tubs in my uh, garage, and I wanted to have the uh, the mouse pad style mats that I could just roll up and again store them with without taking up a ton of space. It's literally every, all of my decisions almost were all about minimizing the amount of uh, storage space I needed to, to take up with, with all of this, the stuff. So uh, most of the terrain decisions were just based on what can I, what can I throw down as scatter terrain onto a, uh, a rollout uh, mouse pad style mat. So, so that tended to be a lot of houses. It tended to be a lot of trees. Uh, it tended to be a lot of, fences and things. Uh, I started building her starts uh, terrain for some of the kind of ruins and, and such. The the GW Osceliath ruins are, are great for that sort of thing as well. So the, the old ones. So so that that ends up being a, a big bulk of the terrain is is just those sorts of those sorts of features. And uh, we kind of turn one of them into a, a, a Brie like board. It's not, it's not an official Brie board, but it, it kind of has that sort of a flavor to it. We had some Anglo-Saxon houses that we could, we put out on one board that has a little bit of a Rohan feel to it. Uh, we had, a, you know, some that were just purely kind of forest uh, base that, you know, gave a forest feel to them. So the first board I ever played uh, that you had was your Minds of Moria. And I played on it like three times since, and I've just loved it every time. So awesome to play on. I love your Minds of Moria. Those yeah, thanks. Yeah. There was a, the, the, the thing that makes that board is there was a guy on eBay that was selling those columns and I, I bought a set of columns off them. They're fantastic. They just, they look so good. I mean, the, the rest of the board is kind of meh, but the columns just kind of make the whole thing come together. It's a sweet board to play on. Well, the Mines of Moria and all the things that you, you customized there, but you also recently, when I say recently, probably a year ago now, my timelines are starting to get blurred in quarantine, but you did the Hobbit, the Hobbiton board, where you took the GW Hobbit holes, I believe. And turned yeah. Out yeah. Before the GW board. Hobbit holes? 
No, that was that's the Forge World uh, Hobbit hole facings. So I, I built three of the Hobbit holes, and then and then after that, it's just yeah, I had some fences and trees and little bits of field here and there. We're gonna have to spam the Instagram account with some of the pictures. Matt was just on the on the video here showing a picture of he he and I playing on my favorite board that you own personally, but. The Bree um, board, I just, I just love that board right there. It's so epic. We'll have to show, share a lot of these pictures. But how many, how so, many fields can you, or how many boards can you field at one time? <laughs> it's, it's, it's my wife around. I, I'm not sure I want her to hear this. Uh, I, it's a safe space. Uh, I, I can field twelve at the moment, so if if I have to. Nice. nice. So actually, twelve is not not even if I have to. Twelve is twelve is pretty easy. So I, I'm, <laughs> I have no immediate plans to expand beyond that. <laughs> but if someone asked you to hold twenty four tables, could you? Know? <laughs> <laughs> so so on that note, I remember the Brie uh, table. Um, I remember like a desert style table that I kind of like assumed was like a serpent horde. Uh, yeah, style. that was the that was the thought. Was that it? It would be sort of Harad-like, and it's yeah. just it's some Middle Eastern style houses and a couple of uh, and some uh, uh, kind of palm Oasis. trees and yeah, uh, yeah, little a couple of little ponds. Yeah, a few oasises mixed in. Super yeah. cool on that. A couple of rock formations. That was the Moria, board that that was, oh, that was the that was the board I lost. What was it like fourteen Khazad guard and three turns of shooting to Harad? Yeah, good memory. Yeah, good memory. Tur <laughs> turns out the betrayer backing up a bunch of Haradrim archers is not not terrible. So Pat, I definitely would like to put up some pics of those boards if you don't mind on the Instagram just to kind of show off some of your terrain work. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll forward. Cool. Yeah, I'll forward you guys some photos. We there's there's quite a few from the various tournaments we've held. What is your personal so, so, favorite board? Uh, I really, I, I actually kind of like the Brie board as well. That was one of the first ones we pulled together, and um, I, I kind of like the fact that it's got a bunch of autumn colored trees on it as opposed to just the standard kind of green trees. That that kind of pulls that board together for me a little bit. So I kind I just kind of like that. It's it's really got a lot of color and it, it's kind of a fun one. It's a good one. So Pat, if you don't mind, I'd like to pick your brain a little bit. Now that uh, I'm kind of the noob on the show compared to Marcus, Mitchell, and your experience, as I was starting to play, you know, you mentioned when you play at a game store, the terrain is like scarce if anything. So like as you're as I was learning to play, most of the boards were blank. And so it just like made shooting overpowered. Um, it made heroic marches pretty much unstoppable. Uh, and when I came to that first tournament where I got to play with, uh, on your setups, it showed how much terrain changes the dynamic of a game. And for veterans, that's, that's of course obvious. But for me, it wasn't until I got to experience having to decide if you want to go around and go through the alley or have your entire army take jump tests on a fence which I still am surprised how many ones I roll trying to jump those fences on the Brie board. But um, can you kind of walk us through when you're building a board setup, your, yours always look like they're done with such intention. 
and it creates such a cool dynamic of movement, the ability to hide the horn. Do you mind just kind of sharing how you set those boards up? Because I go other places where there's a lot of terrain. It doesn't seem to make sense, but yours always stand out on that. No, well, th again, thank you. That's uh, that's a nice compliment. Maybe maybe too nice of a compliment. I'm not sure I, I deserve that, but uh, I mean, yeah. I, I so there are a few thoughts. One is. Uh, I like the boards to just have mostly, this is kind of an odd uh, uh, thought, but uh, I like them to be flat. I don't like hilly boards, uh, mostly just because models have a hard time standing up on them. So I tend not to put a lot of hills on boards. I have an Ammon Hen-ish board and it has a hill and it's not one of my favorite boards because the hill always causes problems. And again, I, I, I love seeing one of those cool uh, sculpted boards that have been built out of foam that have a lot of hills and valleys and streams. They look gorgeous. They just, they look so good. They're kind of difficult to play on when your models won't stand up uh, straight. So that that's just a personal thing that I, I really just like to have a, a flat board because the models just flat out stand up on it better and you just kind of don't have that deal where you're sort of battling your models falling over all over the place. Especially a freshly painted army that uh, you see one metal guy tip over and he hits three other metal guys and you watch your work just disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When suddenly I can see the paint chips on my models, I'm I'm always sort of crying a little inside but you know <laughs> yeah well and, and in a competitive event i mean when the models are falling over trying to remember exactly where it was and figure out where your six inch move would have been i mean yeah i completely agree with you flat terrain is very nice so uh after that i mean again that's just a, a little weird personal thought um after that i it is a little bit of a balancing act. I want there to be things that block line of sight. I want there to be things that break up movement, but at the same time, I don't want the channels to be so narrow that no one can get through. So um, you do want a fair amount of open space. If there's too much terrain on the board, it, it really kind of makes it a board almost impossible to play on as well. Um, for scenarios such as fog of war, I, I tend to want about three pieces at least, usually about three pieces of terrain that are clearly on each player's side of the board. So that if, again, if something like fog of war does come up, then one player isn't sort of penalized or, or, or just sort of shoehorned into having to pick the only piece of terrain that, that's maybe out there. So, uh, and, and when I say piece of terrain, I'm not talking like a, a fence. I'm talking like, a, you know, a, a forest footprint or a house or a rock formation or something like that, where it's, you know, it's pretty, it, it's got a little more substance to it than, you know, maybe like a single hedge or a single, you know, piece of fencing or something. So. And then it's, again, it's mostly just kind of filling in and, and trying to just find sort of that balance of what looks visually appealing, what breaks up line of sight and breaks up movement, but doesn't um, 
doesn't do so in a way that makes things like if you have if somebody's playing an Iron Hills chariot, I want them to be able to be able to move their chariot around. If somebody's playing a Moomok, I want them to be able to move their Moomok around. Um, and, and that's not to say they have to be able to get everywhere. In fact, it's preferable that they not be able to get everywhere. If a, if a 60 mil base can't fit through an archway, but a 25 mil base can, that, that adds an element of interest. But I, I'd also don't want to make it so that um, there's an area where, you know, that 60 mil base just flat out can't get into necessarily at all. So, uh, you know, maybe it's challenging for them or maybe they have to go a different route, but um, I, I don't want them to just be completely blocked out of portions of the board, so. Unless they bring smogs and they deserve it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't planned for smog. We haven't seen him <laughs> at one of our tournaments yet, but I should probably think about that. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big, f I haven't put out a lot of rivers because uh, I think they can make things a little bit tricky. If I were to do a river, I'd, I'd want to make sure there were at a minimum, I think of three crossing points and maybe even four, just to make sure that models do have some means of, of getting, you know, moving through or moving across the river. But it is one of the reasons that I haven't picked, I haven't put a lot of rivers on boards uh, because they, they're sort of tricky to work around. That, that Taking swim probably is something. Iron Hills dwarves is never fun. Yeah, I probably honestly should be looking to add them in more because I, I do think water features maybe aren't featured enough on on tables. I, I think they do add something that's sort of interesting. What if you had one that entered from like the left side and exited on like the bottom left side? So it only really incorporated like half the board, but the other half was still operable. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's kind of interesting when you run in a river sort of not across where the uh, players so so that players don't necessarily have to cross it, but that divides the board in the the other direction. So it's running from both from my half of the board to say your half of the board. Those mm -hmm. those can be a little more interesting. I hear every Elrond and Arwen player silently cheering right now. Yes, more water. Wrath of the Druid. <laughs> Watcher in the water. Oh, yes. yeah, the Watcher. <laughs> yeah, those spell bonuses. I've never actually had a game where the water feature bonus came into play. So maybe that's a good thing because I never run those wizards or those spellcasters. So, uh Still waiting for Collapse Rock to come into play from Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the old guideline? It used to be, I think, way back in the day, uh, they, they recommended that you put, fill 25% of your board with terrain and then, and then divide it up uh, throughout the rest of the board. That was, I, I think, the guideline. And I don't know how close we get to that. It feels like we get probably pretty close to that but that's probably a good guideline to to shoot for 25 percent. i thought you were i thought there was the unsung rule of one third one third of the board should be is, is it based. is it one third i i could be i could be remembering that incorrectly well i'm not sure with the old one and i could be totally off off the hinges here but it seems like one third on some of the better boards one third is what it ends up being and i am Personally, I love 
that much terrain because it just it adds a unique element to every single board. Every single army plays differently. Every single army has a unwritten advantage depending on how the board is set up. Um, so I could be remembering the ratios wrong, but I. For me, more you know, I think you're right. In, in the you could be right. It says 33% um, approximately. Yeah, for me, it's like more terrain, the better. I, I usually run armies that are inhibited by terrain, which sucks, but it just makes the game so much more fun. I think it's because Mitchell and I had way too many battles where we just no terrain lined up a battle line, marched straight forward, and then started rolling dice. You do that a couple hundred times, and then you you enjoy the random terrain. Yeah, it yeah, just back, changes the dynamic. Yeah, back in the old days, it. it I, I think I had about half a dozen trees and maybe th two or three rocks, and that was about it, so. <laughs> Great for crossbows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, now that I'm running Corsair's Pat, can we tone down the terrain at the, uh, the October tournament? Let's talk about this. <laughs> well, I, actually, though, I think it's, uh, again, I, I think it's okay to have some boards that have more and some that maybe are more open. I mean, you, you don't have to have every board necessarily full of terrain. So, um, uh, you know, having it come down to some degree to... Uh, to a bit of, uh, of randomness is, is is not necessarily is not necessarily bad, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want every every table to be just wide open. This coming from a Mumac player, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard the reference to, but Mumac should be able to navigate to some degree. When you were talking about your terrain layout, I was like, hey, hold on. A second. Says the man that's running like a feet. What do you call a herd of Moomacs? Because that's what Pat has. <laughs> I only I only have two painted Moomacs, that's all. <laughs> uh, unpainted count. Two two unpainted as well, but you know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's, a, that's actually like a pretty sweet segue because you're tonight you're talking with us about the Serpent Horde. Um, a la Moomacs, a la everything monsters and, and smashing. Um, this is, we were joking about this before we started playing, but this is the only army I've ever seen you run. Yet you have a plethora of armies. You have, I don't even know how many armies, but I, this is the I, only one I've seen. I finally saw <laughs> a thousand points of pure hero army from Pat. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, which yeah. one? Which it, one? It, it, it's like that the girlfriend... Like it's like the girlfriend in Canada. Supposedly it exists, but uh, nobody's ever seen her. Uh, yeah, that that list was interesting because it had like 30 plus might and you were regaining like six might per turn or something like that. Yeah, I was I was trying to see if I could make the the all just pure hero uh, with very few um uh, warrior, uh, row, the uh, Riders of Thayden Legion, or no, 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 it wasn't the Riders of Thayden. It was, uh, it was just kind of cobbled together out of because I think Aragorn and Boromir were in that list as well. So, uh, yeah, it did, it did. It was the first time I'd ever played it. It did not end well for uh, for me. So, no biggie. Let me just drop the two biggest heroes of men on the board. Oops. 
Aragorn and Boromir. What and then it was what Theoden gambling, had... Elfhelm, Theodred, Theodred. Uh, yeah. Uh, and... it, it was all Rohan heroes beyond that. So yeah, it was like, but I remember it was like thirty might base, and then you were getting one back from uh, Aragorn, and then gambling was giving like three or four back or something like that. Ridiculous, it was crazy. I need to learn how to play that army. It's where you get into the dynamic where you're spending three might to pass a jump test at a six. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was literally about to say the same thing. When, you, when you're in the game and you're focused and you're playing and all of a sudden they do, somebody, a big hero burns three might to pass a jump test at a six. Look, casually, you're like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> like, oh, it's no big deal. <laughs> You know you're playing Rohan when. <laughs> I've had that happen to me once. It, it did not feel right. I'm going to call a heroic shoot, even though I have priority, just because I can. <laughs> uh, seems like a good idea. Uh, okay, but, so the army spotlight is the Serpent Horde, right? Yeah, Serpent Horde. Well, Serpent Horde, my and I don't book know. Open to the right, right segment. Continuing week two of abandoning my electronic rules. Yeah, me, you, and, you and me both. So tiring turning the pages. Jeez. <laughs> well, yeah, not being. I keep trying to hit the little special rules and touch them to get the explanation of what it is, and it doesn't happen in the book. This is horrible. This paper doesn't react to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Pat, do you want to? Walk us through. You brought a prepaid or li- uh, pre-made list of your serpent horde, force visitor. Sure. Do you, do you want to walk through the? Do you want to walk through the list, or do you want me to kind of go through? It'd probably be better to go through the list as a whole before we do the specifics. I'm get ahead of myself. All right. So this is a this is an 800 point uh, 800 point list. Um, indeed, I, I, I do like. So the, the, I, I guess I, I'm not going to go straight into the list. The, the reason I do have been mostly playing uh, Serpent Horde is I, I kind of just was at a point where I wanted to build a new army, and I had a bunch of uh, Haradrim already just sort of sitting around waiting to, to get painted. So they became the, the next up on my list. And then as I've been painting those, uh, I, I wanted to play play games with them so honestly that's really the only reason that i've just been playing serpent horde lately is uh, as i built more and more of it i kind of want to try out new things and uh, one of the things i do like about it is it it, it does offer a quite a few different build options so um you know i've, I've played infantry heavy armies i've played the mumak i've played more cavalry uh so, you know, it's, it's just, it's been a fun, fun to test out. There's a lot of different heroes I've kind of wanted to experiment with and uh, some I've had success with others, not as much. So, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to play, but indeed uh, I, I think I haven't ha- played quite as much cavalry as I'm going to put in this list. And this is the, probably the next list I'd like to play. And I, I think it's a pretty good list. And I, I think there are a lot of reasons why if you're playing Serpent Horde, you, you, you do want to take a fair bit of cavalry more than I've probably been taking the last few times I've played them. So 
so that being said, uh, at 800 points uh, in Warband 1, um, we're taking Suladan Serpent Lord with uh, Armored Horse. He's the leader. And if you're going to play Serpent Horde, you pretty much are almost always going to take Suladan. Uh, in his Warband are five Serpent Riders and two Haradrim Raiders with War Spear and Bow. In Warband 2, uh, a Haradrim King on horse with a War Spear. Uh, three Serpent Riders, uh, two Haradrim Warriors, or Raiders rather, with uh, War Spear and Bow. And then uh, on foot, uh, four Haradrim Warriors with Spear and Bow, one Haradrim Warrior with a Spear, two Haradrim Warriors with Bows, uh, Watch Arcana with Twin Blades, and two Abrakan Guard. Warband 3 is identical to Warband 2. So again, uh, the Haradrim King on horse with a war spear, three serpent riders, two raiders with uh, war spear and bow, the seven Haradrim warriors with various weapons, a watcher of Karna and two African guard. And then Warband 4 is uh, Raza, Fang of the Serpent. And this uh, warband is all foot. It's uh, seven Haradrim warriors, uh, three of which have spear and bow. One has a spear, three have just a bow. One Watcher Karna with twin blades and two African guard. So the army has a total of 51 models, 24 bows. Uh, there are 20 cavalry models in that uh, oh, army. Holy cow, at 800. Yeah, it's one of the things I do like about uh, the Serpent Horde is, man, they have they just have such a good they have such good value cavalry, and it has ten points of might, and that's probably kind of maxing out the amount of might um, that you can get. One of the issues with the Serpent Horde is it, you you don't have very many three might heroes, and so you're pretty commonly running on fairly low mic counts. Well, on top of all that, too, if I'm doing my math right, you have 26 models that have plus one to wound. 20 horses with uh, war spears of sorts, and then six African guards. So, goodbye defense. Yeah, my... I mean, as, as probably is is obvious from the list, my, my preferred cavalry model if is uh, is the Serpent Rider because they're crazy. There's a crazy good value at 13 points. You're getting a, a model with a, a fight for model with a, a lance, um, which is which is pretty nuts. And then uh, my preferred kind of infantry setup for uh, the the Serpent Horde list is kind of a mostly your sort of African guard front line and then a, a backup of a pretty good chunk of Haradrim warriors with, I, I tend to like the spear and bow combination, but to save points, I'll, I'll probably take a few that just have spears and a few that just have bows. But I, I do like the, uh, the spear and bow combination because I think it lets you just easily sort of shift directions without having to rearrange your lines too much. Really helps out those African guard too in a pinch and the watchers of Karna. Yeah, the the African guard, they're 
they're really good. Um, I mean, they just, they, well, everything in the list, they hit hard. So, I mean, it is, it's a quintessential glass cannon army. They, they hit really hard when, when they come in. Um, but, you know, they're, they're mostly defense four across the board. So, you know, they're, they're going to die. The watchers are pretty much there only for terror-causing units. I, I, I kind of like to sprinkle in a few to deal with pesky terror-causing units. So if you come across a front line of Black Numenorians, at least you've got a few models that are just going to generate, in addition to your heroes, that are going to be more reliable at, at getting into those models. Um, Army of the Dead is kind of a pain for for Serpent Horde to deal with. Um, so, you know, throwing some, uh, again, a few, not a ton. And, and if you were worried about facing Army of the Dead, you, you probably could swap over some of some of your Haradrim Warriors and maybe a Merchant Guard or two for a few more Watchers of Karna just to bump up your, your model count a little bit on, on those. They do help deal with the, the terror causing models pretty well. I did not take a Warhorn in this list, uh, mostly because it just it eats up points. You you when your whole army is defense four, you you kind of need a pretty big block of models because you just know that models are going to die. Uh, and I would rather try to sprinkle in some Watchers of Karna to deal with the the terror causing. Uh, pesky opponents versus putting a warhorn in there um it, it's nice to get the warhorn in if you can but i, I really i really don't want to be fighting even numbers i, I want to be outnumbering my opponent most of the time and uh, and i need some i need to accept the fact that i'm going to have a lot of models die when they lose combats so am I counting this right? In this list, you have three Watchers of Karna with Twin Blades? There are only three in in this list. It wouldn't be that. You you can um, you can kind of futz with the list and bump that you know, up to five or six without really losing model count just by swapping out maybe a Merchant Guard or an Abracan Guard or two and then changing out some, you know, dropping a few Spears off the Bowman. Yeah, I think that's really the right call, honestly. With 51 models, 20 of those being Cav, uh, you're just going to overwhelm your opponent. That I, even if like a third of your guys fail the courage test, because they're courage three still, so 50% chance to pass courage test. Let's say 50% of those fail the courage test. Doing the math on it, uh, you're you're still going to get plenty of guys into combat with spear supports. You're going to still get plenty of Cav in there you're going to be able to do a lot with that. I think that's the right call rather than going with the Warhorn. I think the 51 models with the, all that cav is the way to go with this list. Yeah, I mean, you, if you want to go Warhorn, you you can. You you lose about three-ish, maybe four models. But I, I like the models. I, I just find that I want them, so... And I'm one of the biggest Warhorn advocates out there, but in this list, I mean, how much is it going to really help you? Um, you know, with all your guys being Courage 3, I find that the Warhorn really excels going from Courage 4 to Courage 5. Um, I, I love Warhorns. I'll sneak them in whenever I can, but I think you made the right call on this one. 
you you do have some other because you have a lot of shooting and with uh, serpent horde you do have some alternate methods of dealing with terror um typically you can put a lot of pressure on armies with shooting even when they're high defense um you know when you're firing 24 shots a, a turn at them potentially and yeah um, my dwarves are know. still suffering ptsd from that <laughs> Well, it's it's not uh, just twenty four bows. It's twenty four bows with the poison. Um, yeah, you're rerolling one. So yeah. let me let That's... me give some background too. Is I the first time I ever played Tat was in a in the tournament, and I lined up all my Khazad guard against this serpent. I was like, oh, geez, this is gonna be easy. My dwarves are gonna wounding him on threes, you know, because I had the burly earth all... guard. Yeah. I I rerolling ones because I had my army bonus. I was like, oh. Pfft piece of cake and he lined up and sat there and he had the betrayer backing it up and he proceeded to shoot down 12 guys in like three turns and i went well this isn't working <laughs> run faster <laughs> my, my dice were a little hot that day so just <laughs> in all fairness uh I, yeah the betrayer can really can he can make the the archers so so dangerous uh, i do not have the betrayer in this list I, i've gone i've gone back and forth on on him a lot and i like the utility that he brings to the table he does offer some spell casting he makes your troops even more killy than they already are uh at 120 points i just I think I've come around to the fact that I I don't necessarily love him. Um, your army's pretty killy as it is, even without him. So I don't necessarily know that you need to to put him in the list. He's not a very good caster. Um, he is actually not terrible in combat because um, since he has the Bayoon of Kings rules, uh, but. For him to really shine in combat, you kind of have to put him on a fell beast, I think, and then you're talking 170 points, and that just again starts eating into your 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 overall model count. And as I noted, I I kind of want a high model count with this army. Well, I want to I want to pause you right there. So the army bonus is the 50% of warriors can have bows instead of the traditional one third. So a lot of the Serpent Horde strength is going to come from missile weapons, right? Yeah, I try to max out the bows almost every time. One of the things I do love about uh, Serpent Horde is they just have they have good it, they have good equipment options. You can kind of always get the equipment options that you want. You can you can I think the core troops just with a spear and bow are really good um, and just offer a lot of utility. Uh, the reason I have a bunch of raiders uh, sprinkled in the list, I do prefer the Serpent Rider as the primary cavalry model, but the raiders let you, give you the option to take a bow, and then you can you can again kind of skirmish with them and put pressure on your opponent from you know from from the flanks and from multiple angles, which I think is is helpful. Got it. And the, and then I guess specifically on the betrayer. So you said you've gone back and forth with them a lot, and you you already talked about kind of some of the. The decision trees in the matrix but couldn't you run a version of this where the betrayer is your leader so i think in the list that you already talked about solidan is your leader the hero of legend 
but you could run a version of this where the betrayer is on a Thelby, so he gets the most out of that Bane of Kings and has the potential to pop Master of Poisons a couple times, um, which lets you reroll everything, right? So any failed wounds when you're activating that six inches from you? Yeah. That's what it, I was going to ask. Is that bows and in the fight phase it's, too? It's all poison, all poison yeah. weapons. And, and part of the army bonus is that all of your Haradrim warriors and Haradrim raiders, uh, all of their weapons become poisoned. Yeah, that's that's oh, the first okay. thing I was going to say is uh, seeing that you're including so many serpent guard, uh, serpent riders, sorry, uh, I think you have like 11 in this list. I think if that was to hit an Iron Hills wall backed up by the Betrayer, uh, that would seriously be scary for me if i was opposing that uh, yeah that I, I don't disagree with that so my my argument there is that if i win if i charge with a serpent rider against an iron hills dwarf and i win the fight i'm, I'm still getting knocked down and i'm still gonna run roll four dice um with a plus one to wound so do I need the rerolls? How how often do I need the rerolls? Oh, well, you still point. have you still have. I can attest that you don't need the rerolls very much. <laughs> I've been on the <laughs> wrong end of that. <laughs> I mean, I, I yes, he he definitely ensures that the cavalry, whether he stays with the archers or goes with the cavalry, whatever he's around is going to be super killy. But uh, you're awfully killy as it is. True. It's it's yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a good argument. I, I tend to agree with Marcus. I think if you was it, I think it was Marcus who said you could build an army around the betrayer. And I, I think if you are gonna run the betrayer, I think you kind of build the whole army around around him. So, okay. and then yeah, I think you put him on a fell beast. Would you say, Marcus, that you're uh, suggesting to drop Suladan then? Uh, yeah just because of the point cost. And this is a segue to the next question though. So the Haradrim King getting the FAQ boost where they went from heroes of fortitude to heroes of valor. Did that factor into this list, Pat, in the fact that you could use a 60, you know, 60 point model base, assuming no equipment upgrades to, to field 15 troops. And you're not really worried about the heroes to, to get those numbers. So, to to a degree, yes. Although that's I don't think that's the only factor. So I, I Suladan is almost always my number one choice, and then after that, um, I sort of I've tried a lot of the d different heroes. Um, I, I've liked the chieftains on foot because they're a, a they were just a fair bit cheaper. I mean, they were fifteen points cheaper than the Haradrim king when kitted out the same way. Uh, but the the Haradrim King actually, I think in, after thinking it through, the Haradrim King offers a fair bit. So the fight five is kind of a big deal. They're never really bouncing off of standard troops. They're, I, I mean, against elves, they they are, but um, sometimes. But even against fight four, they're going to win fights if they get the six most of the time, which is sort of key. And then the other thing is, so because a lot of models in your army are gonna die and because I don't have things like a war horn, um, the, the, there's a decent chance I'm gonna break. The Haradrim King has an extra point of courage and an extra point of will, which I think 
helps just hold your army together a fair bit late game if if necessary so kind of the combination of yeah the fight five is pretty nice the extra courage and will is pretty nice the hero valor is is pretty nice i think it sort of has now vaulted them into a a pretty straightforward word they're my number two choice for for a hero in this list i I think i'm always gonna take the king or or maybe even multiple kings um as the second choice yeah i i would agree with that 100 percent because i only recently in the last year started running like a king of men from gondor and didn't think that they were super i was doing it mostly for theme but i didn't think they were super all that useful until you used them and when you put them on a horse with a lance uh and you give them a fight five they actually can do something. And the thing about They're the Herodrum King... pretty reliable. Yeah, pretty reliable. The thing about the Herodrum King, too, is he has that heroic strength just sneaking around there. So someone's not paying attention. Um, he could go for a sneaky assassin uh, if you're not careful. Like, just a heroic combat launch, you know, slingshot him around, buff him up with a heroic strength of his own. There's some potential there. Well, and then on, on top of that, too, you have... A 60-point base, again, assuming no crazy upgrades, but you have a 60-point hero who's fight five with a war spear that's threatening all of the other fight five heroes on the board. And I'm thinking there's Faramir. Help me rattle off some of these fight five All the Rohan heroes. All All the the Rohan Rohan heroes. There's a lot of heroes that are significantly more expensive than the Haradrim King, and you're sitting there subliminally threatening Hey, I could I could throw this and and throw it down and try for the 50-50 roll off. And by the way, I have a war spear, so the chance if you lose, you're going to die. If I lose, eh, maybe we stop and and fight a couple of turns. Um, the war spear that's incredible. Bonuses to wounder are really good in this game. One of the models you didn't include, and as a former Harad player, I played Servant Horde back in the Return of the King edition, so a long time ago, but the Hasharans were my favorite models. But you didn't include any. Is that intentional? Do you just not like the model? Um, So I, I like them. I like them. In fact, I mean, I when we played in what was it, early March up in Vancouver, East BC, I, I, I ran a, a list that had actually two Hasharan in it. And um, th- they're a lot of fun to play. I Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, their fight, I, I do like them uh, at fight five. The, they kind of have a fun little bag of tricks with uh, the throwing daggers, the blowpipe. Uh, they, you know, the three attacks and Bane of Kings is just make, their offensive potential a little bit insane. Um, and everyone always forgets that they have three fate. It's just all, it catches everyone by surprise almost every time uh, I play them at a game. Uh, raise your hand a little higher. Because <laughs> yeah, they, they, everyone knows, okay, well, they got two wounds, but they probably only have one fate, so it's not gonna be that hard to kill them. And then I, you know, roll roll fate, and then I, I roll another fate, and they're like, well, how many fate do you have? Oh, I have three fate. <laughs> what? So yeah, it, it, it 
tends to catch people off off guard a bit. They're shockingly survivable uh, with that that three points of fate. Uh, the one might uh, eighty points and one might hurts a, a little bit. Um, you can't put them on a horse. That's a big uh, factor as well. Uh, I put I had the the single uh, warrior on or. Uh, hero on foot in this list and I went with Raza and the primary reason I went with Raza is because he gets the three points of might as opposed to the uh, the one point of might so you're, you're already you, you only have two three might heroes in the list you've got Suladan and Raza everybody else is at most two and the Hasharan are only one and having getting up to ten might I mean helps i think a lot um especially yeah, when you're playing serpent horde you, your might is going to be kind of earmarked a, a lot in advance and so you you don't even even when you have seven or eight might say i do i'm running say hasharan you, you don't feel like you have seven or eight might because you kind of know what your might you kind of have to reserve it for things that you know you're going to have to use it for. And the big ones are you, you're going to have to use some moves to keep your cavalry um, from either getting countercharged or to ensure that they're getting their charges. And then none of your heroes are really that big. And so if you're ever going up against big heroes, you've kind of got to reserve some might for for strikes. So, Well, and honestly, Raza is a Hashran just better though because he still has the three might like you said still has the three attacks has the strike has the bane of kings the is fearless is... while Suladin is on the board I, I don't think you. yeah I don't think that's uh, without a doubt in question I think that was the right call because he's three might still has the bane of kings three attacks strike yeah, yeah. I, I like the fact that the uh, Hashran are base fight five. I mean, I know Raza gets a special rule against uh, a single hero where he goes up to fight six, but uh, knowing that the Hashran, if they're up against a fight, just your standard fight four troops, if they get the six, they're going to win the fight. Yeah. And, and because they're three attacks and have a spear support, they're probably going to get that six most of the time. So that... That, that one difference in fight feels kind of big in terms of them yeah. them being able to just ensure that they're going to win fights and get their kills. With and the quality the, uh, of... Oh, go ahead, Matt. Well, I was going to say that the other differentiator, and I'm not knocking your choice because I love the fact that you put Raza in there, but I've never played a model that had... Uh, I don't even know how you pronounce that. Predanatur? <laughs> how do you say his agility special rule? Preternal, preternatural, preternatural agility. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, that we're one. gonna cut all be... of this out of the episode. <laughs> preternatural agility. There. No, you you got to leave that in. That's gold right there. <laughs> <laughs> the one where he can't be trapped. Because um, yeah, I, one of the armies I'm building has that. I would think that that would be game changing in what you do as far as throwing him in and not worrying about him being surrounded. Um, but I, I maybe maybe not. But does Raza it's, have that as well? He does not. Yeah. Okay. It's such an insurance about his low defense. So both of these, all of the Serpent Horde heroes have lower defense. But the fact that nobody's ever going to get um, the double attacks on a trap, it's. And and going back to what you said, Pat is three fate versus one fate. Raza versus Ahashran. So that's yep, another thing. Yeah. You're right. 
He does have defense five though, whereas the uh, Hasheran are only defense four. So that, that he does have that in his favor. Look, I, I've played them both and I, I like them both. Raza has, I, I've had a lot of, I mean, I've, I've seen him kill a lot of stuff. So I do like him. They're just, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a coin flip, it feels like, between them. And there are, I think, reasons for arguing either one. Uh, I ended up going with Raza because of the three might, but I think you could make a pretty strong argument for you know a different hero. Pat, have you found that Raza's assassination rule just like messes with your opponent's mind? Every time I, I look at that rule, it seems like the ultimate Morgul blade um, that people just freak out. Anytime you move Raza towards a hero, they'll assume that that's the target. Uh, not, I haven't played him a ton, but yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah. When he starts trying, when he, it's obvious that he's trying to make his way towards an opponent hero, um, it's, it's fun to watch your opponent sometimes decide, oh, maybe I don't want Rasa to get, get over to me. <laughs> and then you could just play mind games and like, obviously go towards the wrong one so that the person who is the assassin thinks, okay, I'm safe. I'm coming in to help. What a great role. I like rules like that. It it makes your opponent, it, it just puts them on their heels a little bit just because they don't know, which is always kind of fun. Yeah, and, and on a side note, maybe jumping into specific thoughts on this, this list dynamic, I think your combination is optimal. Um, the Sharon topic, I, I think the Sharon personally pairs with the Betrayer-led army a lot better just because you're not really focused on having to get the charge. You're not really focused on having to hoard up on might to the fact that you opted for additional might and some killing power um, to me makes a ton of sense. I, I think it's another profile where you're maybe you're building uh, more to tailor around what that model can do. So. Yeah, I think I think you might be right that it, they may fit with the betrayer a little better. Although they do have their own, I mean, they kind of have their own little mini, or they have Bane of Kings anyway. So, but yeah, I think you're right. So, Mitchell, Matt, what, what do you guys think of this list? Having gone through it, um, talked a little bit about it. Are there any tweaks that you would think about, or are there any callouts that just seem like awesome synergies or matchups that you think would give this this list a run for its money i think what makes this list work really really well is what i think you know pat and i we've had discussions about this a lot is um suladan i think it complements suladan really really well because the hard thing about suladan is he's a good killer but you don't want to risk him because he makes your army work. So I think what this list does really, really well is by incorporating so many Serpent Guards, so many Riders, so many models, so many threats, it doesn't force him to have to be the best. He doesn't have to be your big leader killer. You have plenty of power, punching power with his army. You're able to protect him, bounce him left to right, utilize that six-inch banner, that stand fast, make your army work. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like that synergy aspect of this list yeah it's 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 taken me uh it, it's taken me a, a while to learn that I, I need to take the foot off the gas with suladan uh more frequently uh he is 
your number one hero and he based you look at his profile and you just think okay this guy needs to be in combat all the time and and look he's he's really effective there but i mean he's he's your banner he's your stand fast he's your leader uh, you really don't want, and he's not, I mean, he's defense five with two wounds and one fate. He's not super survivable. And he, uh, he does have three wounds. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did I say, what did he I say? Two. Oh, okay. My two. bad. So yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. Three wounds. So, um, but the Kings, yeah, the, the Kings, I think are what make also help, help that out is because. Your kings can help share that load of get into combat, burn some might for some combats, kill some things, and allow us to let in a little bit of a break, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, you've got enough punching power that you you really don't need him to do to do all the work. So So I don't have any critiques, but I mean the thing about this list, the way Pat built it, is you've got a giant banner. Um you've got Rerolls of a lot of failed wounds, and you've got plus one to wound on so much. And then the way that synergizes with the shooting makes it really tough to try and figure out if you're an opponent because if you take your time to get into combat, you're going to lose models to the shooting. But then if you rush into combat quickly and you let Pat position with all this cavalry, you're going to get picked apart on the flanks. So I think this list just in and of itself makes an opponent kind of torn between what to do on the early stages of movement. And more likely than not, I would guess people will rush to try and get into combat. And then that's kind of, they're trying to eliminate the shooting. And then that's kind of like going right into your scheme, Pat, because then you're ready to flank them on the side. So I just love the list build. Yeah, you've, you can't, I love sitting there shooting but um yeah they're they're a little bit of a funny army to play they're not really they're, they're not a standard shield wallish sort of an army um they definitely do want to to skirmish a fair bit and if your opponent is rushing at you uh you want to you want to push up you know get your cavalry out onto the flanks and and the ideal scenario i think is that you when your cavalry goes in you want to be able to kind of bring everything to bear at once. This is a good time to talk about the game I had with uh, Matt back in um, uh, March. Uh, we were on a kind of an odd board where um, there was a there was a wall that uh, sort of anchored half the line, so I I could only really flank with my cavalry on one uh, side of of the, the battle line that had sort of formed and my battle line. I, I had fewer cavalry in this list, but it was uh, it was a lot of African guard and um, uh, backed up by Haradrim warriors with spears and spears and bows. Matt was playing a, a th army of Thor uh, Iron Hills Alliance. So lots of Iron Iron Hills, high defense dwarves. Um, not a great matchup for my i mean we have the we have a bunch of hitting power but being only defense for it's not really an ideal matchup for me uh there was a piece of kind of forest terrain that i needed about two turns to navigate around to get my cavalry in position where they could um get onto the flanks and start applying some pressure and in those two turns yeah my my line just sort of half disintegrated um to the uh 
to the Iron Hills. Uh, so when the cavalry got there, they were able to, to deal some damage, but you don't want to be in a position where you have to grind for a couple of turns while your cavalry are getting in position. You kind of want to be able to get those cavalry in position. And if you have to pull your line back while the cavalry is getting in position, I think you just go ahead and do that and just forego shooting if you have to. I mean, the, the threat of it is generally going to force your opponent to come to you regardless but when you when you finally are able to go in you kind of want to be able to go in with almost everything simultaneously i think um that that's one where sometimes i've if when i haven't been able to do that it it has hurt me and when i have been able to do it it it, it helps so that was noticed. a super weird board too the way that the wall kind of went lengthways through the battle line and then we had that huge hill. We couldn't even keep our models still on it, which made the game interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was that was true. But yeah, I, I my being able to wipe out half my army and then pivot and be able to take on the rest of my army was uh, was a, a pretty big point that uh, worked out. I mean, that put Matt in an advantage. Uh, so I, yeah, I. I want to make you you want to make sure that cavalry is taking away the spear supports take you know or, or or just sitting on the flank shooting and maybe forcing your opponent to try to break up their ball or break up their formation to come out uh and, and come to you as opposed to you know staying in that ball and if they do then yeah you've well you've got cavalry that can make them pay for that fairly well so one thing i've noticed a lot too um be i i played a lot of dwarves so high defense um you're you usually shrug things off but when you don't shrug things off as soon as you start losing one two three models you feel it uh and your opponent feels it they get a little bit of momentum yeah i just killed it's complete polar opposite when you're playing a low defense army if you're not killing like five or six guys you know in a turn you know or if you're not killing as fast as you think you are you go into a panic and i've i've faced this with against you like where yeah i've lost three guys i've killed six of your guys but i'm expecting to kill like 10 or 12 so in my mind i'm losing the battle i start panicking i overextend so when you bring all those numbers to bear like you said and it's all crashing down on me, and I'm not churning through those low defense numbers like I think I am. Uh, it it really gets me on the back of my heels, and I'm start backpedaling fast. Yeah, I, I think I haven't. I mean, my traditional number of cavalry was maybe in the eight to ten ish range, and I I think putting so many more cavalry out there, I think you can. I think you can put a lot of pressure on uh, your opponent because you still have enough models to, you know, field, you know, kind of a standard battle line that is going to at least offer battle. But but really, you've got so much that can then start poke, you know, putting pressure on their on their flanks and on the rear of their army that uh, I think it can it it can start to yeah take a toll. But sometimes, some again, sometimes your defense four will just completely disintegrate as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good segue. I was just in my mind thinking about scenarios and what scenarios would be an amazing matchup versus a challenge here, and I got stuck on Lords of Battle. 
Can you imagine for the betting fans or people who are a fan of the odds, how confusing it would be to bet on a game of this Harad list with Lords of Battle against any army, really? Because it's like, well, do my 26 plus one to wounds work or do my, does my defense four become my demise? <laughs> I, I don't dislike Lords of Battle with this army. <laughs> I, be, again, because you can put a lot of pressure with archery, because you have cavalry that can, that can skirmish until it decides it doesn't want to skirmish anymore. Um, you're, you're, you're almost always going to start ahead in the in the kill count and and if you're starting from a point of being ahead then i then your opponent has to play catch up and so i think it i, I like lords of battle with this army but yeah i mean i mean not if i'm playing a, a list of six cents or something then i probably don't <laughs> want to play lords of battle <laughs> mitchell matt and pat what do you guys think are some of the achilles heels for this list um personally just to get us kick-started Blinding well, light say, elves. Oh well, yeah, blinding light elves. But we've talked about this several times. I think this army shines in the modem of good versus evil only, because I think again, once again, this army's weaknesses are just accentuated, highlighted, just taken advantage of with other evil armies. So I think against other evil armies, there's quite a few linchpins that would be frustrating. Terror, Pat, you've mentioned this a couple of times. Spellcasters, um, you know, big monster armies. But it, maybe if we just think about a modem where it's good versus evil only. So what good armies besides, or maybe walk us through, Matt, your, your blinding light elves? Well, on that comment, I was just thinking, uh, you know, blinding light kind of takes away some of Pat's shooting. And then with D4, he's susceptible to it. Um, so that was my only mention there. Pat probably doesn't want to face an army that limits his ability to shoot, but that excels at shooting. I, I would guess. Yeah, I took, I did face Pat one time with uh, Noldorian exiles, all with throwing weapons, and uh, that was kind of brutal for him. If yeah, I remember was, right. Yeah, did not. Well, I, I let. I also managed to let my army get separated by a piece of terrain, and and, and Mitchell correctly went after the, the cavalry while the slow infantry took two turns to try to, to get over there. So, um, but yeah, the it it sort of forces it turns the table on them a little bit and forces them to have to now consider whether they need to come to you as opposed to you forcing them to come. So I guess to answer your question, Marcus, I think uh, throwing weapons, as Matt also pointed out, throwing weapons would be tough against this list. I see um, just the same kind of, especially when you're so cavalry heavy and you're so reliant on the hitting power of your cavalry, I could see losing a lot of roll-offs on heroic moves being frustrating because um, you lose a lot of your hitting power. I think that's why I like... Um, Pat's version of all the African guards so much because he wasn't reliant on that. Uh, but I love the cavalry and the mobility and the hitting power. So I love this list, but I could just see that being a frustrating part of it. If you lose three or four heroic roll move offs and suddenly you don't get your war spear bonus, you don't get any hitting power, you're getting countercharged. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a factor. Yeah, that's a good call because the African guards, I mean, they're, they always have their burly two-handed swords. So you have those sprinkled throughout to try and help mitigate 
those roll-offs that don't go go your way. So here's a thought that's kind of half-baked, so you guys feel free to make fun of me, but I think the strength of this list is going up against high defense because all the plus-one to wounds that Pat has makes that really good. So I'm wondering if probably the worst thing that you can face is a massive board army where they really don't care if, Pat, you kill huge amounts of models. Like, I'm guessing Goblin Town probably kind of sucks with this because you can kill loads every turn and you're still going to be outnumbered only because i'm thinking of this right off the top of my head uh because i am staring at it but chariots <laughs> having oh, five yeah, chariots chariot. having five chariots. chariots you're marching at you that's, i'm that's just horrible. so relieved you didn't say easterlings i was ready for it there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what pairs well with chariots uh, <laughs> uh yeah a countess chariot army would be potentially potentially rough um You'd really be relying on winning some uh, some heroic move roll-offs and, and then, you know, really trying to knock out as many chariots as you can, and then they're not that easy to knock out, so. Yeah, Terror, as noted, is always... Army of the Dead is is a bit of a difficult, difficult challenge because they have high defense and... Um, and they can wound you so easily. So, and it, it, it's difficult. It can be difficult to charge them. Uh, since I've started taking more Watchers of Karna in the list, Army of the Dead has not given me as much trouble. I, previously, I wasn't really including them in the list at all. And, and I really, really struggled against Army of the Dead. I think they yeah, also help counter that good versus uh, evil slash evil versus evil argument that Marcus was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Mitch, because I was thinking like the Angmar or Mordor armies that are largely terrifying. Your watchers give you, and I, I love, I'm a, a huge fan of Isengard and Isengard Berserkers and playing against some of these terrifying armies. Having one model where you know you're going to be able to stack a support behind and maybe try to focus your efforts to just to, to start the snowball rolling because with a with a high horde model, you have 51 models, you're likely going to outnumber your opponent a majority of the time. Um, at the beginning of the game, for sure by the time you get to combat with all your shooting, you'll outnumber your opponent. Having the ability to stack a couple watchers on a, on a section of the battlefront, battle line, guaranteed combats, guaranteed charges, you are going to get that number advantage somewhere and start realizing that. So no, I, th I think those, those models are, are super clutch and they have two attacks. So you put a spirit behind them, all of a sudden you're rolling three dice. Um, They're basically the berserkers of your uh, Haradrim yeah. list. With yeah. some poison rerolls. Wait, do watchers get poison rerolls? I didn't see them in the army bonus. They do not. They're, oh, they poison. do not. Neither the watchers nor the African guard have poison weapons. So but... it'll only be the spear support behind them. Yeah. 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 But the resistant to magic, hatred spirit, I mean, yeah. he, Pat's absolutely right. This is your counter to Army of the Dead, even Angmar. Yeah, that's that's really the only reason I bring them is is for is for pesky terror. So they they used to be, I mean in the old rules they were kind of overpowered a little bit when you could take both the bow and the the twin blades, but now that you can only take the one, I, I think it devalues them a fair a fair bit. But they're pretty useful against terror. 
<laughs> now that you point that out, I like how they said that in the rules. Uh, must choose only one and only one of the following. <laughs> the only rule uh, that won't be FAQ'd at some point. <laughs> it's clear. So you're saying what? I could take both? <laughs> how many weapons can the Watcher of Karna take? How many loadouts can the Watcher of Karna take? <laughs> As part of the legendary legion. <laughs> what can give this list some difficulty uh, are kind of your the big fight six plus heroes can can wreak some some damage or some havoc on the list. Uh, if you're you've kind of you've got to learn to position models so that you're minimizing the amount of damage those fight six heroes can do. You don't have a ton of strike uh suladan can strike and and raza can strike and if you're bringing the hasherans they can strike but they only have the one uh one might point but otherwise you don't really have a ton of strike and you don't have any heroes that are over fight five so your your big fight six plus heroes your boromirs aragorns uh azog elrond gilgalad types they Amder. Yeah, Amder. Amder's tough. They can give you some grief. And you you don't typically just want to go send Suladan or your heroes off to deal with them. Uh, Suladan and the, the kings and the other heroes are much more effective when they can just take on troops. So they, they really just want to go kill troops. They don't want to have to go deal with Thror or, you know, again, one of those big heroes. So um, so you've, you've kind of got to figure out how to sort of cordon those models off so that they can only kill, you know, maybe a, you know, a couple models per turn as opposed to slingshotting off and you know killing four models every turn where suddenly you know after three turns your your dead pile is getting pretty 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 ugly another another ode to your your combination of heroes though because even in even if you're going against you know the ultimate elves i i'm i've been talking and working a lot with gilgalad lately even if you have that big elf hero with Raza getting the plus two, you could easily just set that leader of the opposing army as your target. Raza gets the plus two fight value. And you have a model that's, I mean, relatively cheap, 75 points threatening a 150 plus hero um, with his three points of might that can do strike every single time with the Bane of Kings. That's a pretty decent threat. For any opposing hero, with that yeah, heroes, yeah, I, I, you're, you're correct. He's a potentially good counter to that. He is the one exception, I think, to that rule where he doesn't mind going after at least the hero that is his target. So, uh, since that pushes him up to fight six, he's got potentially three heroic strikes if he doesn't have to burn his might on anything else. Uh, so he, he can put some pressure on. I, the ideal scenario is that you're you're able to put pressure on heroes with your your just troops and force some of those heroes to burn their might and then when they're low then you can send in you can send in like a raza or a suladan uh when they've got a might advantage but uh if not uh raza's a raza's a reasonably good value option for that 
Okay, and just because you didn't, you didn't include him in the list, and you're the ultimate serpent horde player. What are your? What are your I'm not sure about for? that, but <laughs> you well, you you played so many different variants of this. I gotta talk to you. The Golden King of Abrakan, and then the Mumak. What what are your thoughts on those two models? Around the same point, though. Let's 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 keep it in the bigger the bigger games, like 800 plus. Yeah. Um, what, um, what do you think? So I, I like them both. Uh, I think the the Golden King. What holds me back from him is he's a 130 point model that doesn't have strike, which just kind of feels meh. Um, and fight four base. And he's only fight four. Yep. He is. He's kind of shockingly tanky, though, and he's really kind of your only sort of tank kind of an option. He's D5 with four wounds and two fate, which, I mean, that's about the most that you can throw into an enemy hero and just say, just stay alive for a couple of turns or you know more. Uh, he's pretty good at that. Um, clearly, his his courage shenanigans can be quite fun i think if i were including him i would want to build uh, a courage shenanigany sort of an army around him to take the best advantage of that particular rule and that just kind of doesn't fit with the rest of the army so that that's the primary reason i typically don't take him but i i do like him he's a again he's another just with four attacks and you know, Burley. I mean, he's a great troop killer. Yeah, four attacks, banners himself. Like you said, throw him into a hero, constantly puts the pressure on him, making them burn might to win the fight. Yeah. If not, That's you're going to a... get four strength, four hits with Burley plus one back That's at you. Yeah, you make a good point in that he does offer a reasonable anti big hero option in that he can take a few shots from one. No, can you imagine point. two being broken playing against the golden King and you're like ready to take your first stand fast. And you're like, Oh no problem. I'm high courage. And he's like, Oh, I'm burning six will your courage zero. <laughs> and you oh, fail it's... and run away. I mean, I just, your big leader, Aragorn running away. Yeah. I mean, that would be worth taking the Golden King every time just to have that one event where you're like, ha! Because <laughs> it's people like Aragorn that are the ones that win games, late games. And if you're taking away and making him run away, oof, that'd be brutal. Yeah. Okay, so what about the, the Mumax? So I, I know you've played the Mumax so many times and he didn't, he didn't show up in today's list. What are your thoughts? Are your... High level thoughts. I don't want to spend too much time because he's got like seven page of rules. Yeah, oh yeah. All of it, but. I, I think he's super fun to play. Um, he and I, he's a he can be a one of the reasons I don't play him a ton is he can be a bit unfun to play against. If your opponent really doesn't have a way to deal with him, it, it's kind of like, oh, I'm not sure I've signed up for this. <laughs> so that's. Um, on the flip side, though, if they do have a way of dealing with them, they can they can they can pretty easily just you know eliminate your 300 points worth of uh, army without 
that much difficulty. So um, that being said, e even though he can be unfun to play against, most of the time people are just generally pretty jacked to see a Mumak on the table. So I, I would say if anyone is thinking of wanting to give him a give him a role, I'd say go ahead and give him a give him a pull a, a go. He, he's he's a lot of fun to put out there, and it, it's he's fun to experiment. If you literally only get one trample off in you know a, a day's <laughs> worth of games, it's it's worth it. So, do you typically go for the regular Mumak, or do you go for the Legendary Legion and the War Leader to get that fight five banner and strike? So. Uh, I, I like his rule that uh, gives him that, that negates opponents uh, heroic moves 50% uh, of the time, which kind of effectively gives him a 75% chance to win her heroic, heroic move roll offs. So from that standpoint, he's just much, much more reliable to be able to get those tramples off. Uh, he's he's really expensive though. I mean, 400 points. Mm -hmm. I, uh, the extra might is, or the extra fight value is handy. Um, you generally don't want your Mumak to be in combat anyway, though. You, you I mean, you want to be you want him to be trampling. If he gets bogged down in combats, it's probably just not good for the Mumak, regardless mm -hmm. of his fight value. So I'm not sure that that's necessarily crucial. I I kind of. I kind of like the budget Mumak. Uh, I, I think you almost always want the uh, at least the Beastmaster Chieftain for the uh, the extra courage and the extra point of might. Um, and he it be, he becomes a lot more difficult to to stampede if he if he does get wounded with the the Beastmaster Chieftain. And then after that, it's it's sort of up to you as to what you like. Um, I haven't done the the repelling line version, but I after hearing that on green dragon i i'm i am keen to to try that out and give it a go the sort of the shenanigans you can do of move up your mumak and either drop some models to provide a screen so that it's difficult for you to get charged or if a big hero comes into the mumak and you just want him to not be battling the mumak that turn then you just drop a drop a random Haradrim warrior into combat with that hero and suddenly the hero is not fighting the Mumak anymore. That's pretty slick. Uh, I, I, I like one of the things that the Mumak is pretty pretty awesome for is that it, it, it gives you a, a bit of game control that if you want to end the game early, you just run over a bunch of your own troops and voila, game over. So yeah. Your army will never look at you the same way, though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trust that elephant. So you, I mean, yeah, you you go right. I'm sorry, the mental picture I just had my mind went. We're winning. Why is he turning around? <laughs> I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. <laughs> he runs in front of the Mubak. Kill me! End the game! Oh, my goodness. Um, I, a, a so in that tournament that I did play the Mubak up in BC, there were a couple of games where, indeed, my, my troops were in between the Mumak and my opponent. And I think my, it, it does sometimes fool, because it, it did in a couple of cases, it fools your opponent into thinking, I'm protected from his trample because his troops are in the way. <laughs> <laughs> that is so not true. I 
do not care about my own troops. If I can get a good trample that just kills a ton of your guys, uh, you know. Even if it's like an even split between your guys and my guys, I want to do it. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. that's going to be the most fun uh, thing to do, honestly. <laughs> yeah, we also need to come up with what, what, the, what the correct terminology is for a herd of Mumax. I don't think herd is the appropriate word. But we need when when Pat does field his entire Pat battle of Pelennor fields with a single person running all seventeen Mumax, uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll be pretty impressive. Well, guys, any other uh, callouts? Uh, we we touched on a lot of things. Any any scenarios? Any any army matchups that we haven't already hit? Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure if we covered, you You started to ask, and I'm not sure if I, I answered which scenarios. I, I think the new scenarios, especially that have come out now with the, you know, the six new ones in the match play guide that favor, a, a, a lot of the new ones favor mobility quite a bit. And I, I feel like, you know, with the amount of cavalry that the, uh, the, Servant Horde can bring to bear. I, I, I think it it definitely hurt, helps them. So um, I, I think they're quite good at, there's really no scenarios that I don't really like. Um, I don't love Contest of Champions uh, if I get it, but I can probably screen off Suladan and then uh, have him right away and, and go, you know, go do some work. You know, from the from uh, once he's backed off of having to fight whoever whoever's hero is he's up against. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. I don't think there's many armies in the game that have this versatility for scenarios. With the way you've built this list, you've got numbers, you've got mobility, ten might. Well, and even more so than all of those things, an easy way to convert numbers and mobility to just dominant board control on any scenario. You pick your battle. You will pick your battles in every single lineup, assuming you don't line up against a Rivendell Blinding Light. As long as you don't have that matchup, you will pick your battles anywhere on the board. Yeah, more often than not, you get to decide where and when you're going to fight, which is pretty, pretty handy. And you have enough cavalry that you you can you can obtain a f quite a bit of board control. Uh, some armies are just going to have to to turtle up a little bit and then you get even more board control. But against, you know, they're they're all heavy cavalry is becoming more common and so or it seems like it's becoming more common so if you're up against say a, a rohan army that's also got a ton of cavalry then then you're you're going to be fairly even in that regard so so you won't you won't realize it there you still get the plus one to wound with the lance when you're charging cavalry right you just don't get the extra yep. attack correct yep and and against rohan uh, you bring that up because we see that a lot these days. Um, you're negating their best thing about them is their charge yeah. bonuses. You know, just to completely negate that and say, yeah, I'm negating mine, but I still have one, one yeah. extra trick up my sleeve. Yeah. 
Well, and, and I love running fiefdoms as well. And the fiefdoms have that similar benefit of, oh, I get the lamp still. Uh, but you're running two, you're almost running two serpent riders with war spears for every one of my fiefdom knights. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, the, they're just a, they're really a good value. I mean, they are defense four, so you're going to lose a lot of them, but 13 points for a cavalry model with a lance is, is just, that's fight four is pretty nuts. Well, I'm super excited to get into a point of life where we can get back to playing battle games um, and seeing this specific list on the table, uh, hearing how it plays you know, over the course of five, ten games. It, it sounds incredible. It really does. Well, uh, a good player, not, not necessarily me, but a good player should be able to do a lot with this list. <laughs> <laughs> The humble brag slash the caveat. I play a lot of what are supposed to be amazing armies, yet I still haven't figured out why they're amazing. So I was going to say, I'm Pat, go I, do the, I have the same excuse every time I lose. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been a blast. Uh, unless there are any other closing comments, let's... I think we should wind it down. Pat, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this yeah, has been a blast. Pat. Thank really you very much. It. It's yeah, always Pat, fun to chat so with you guys. Yeah. Great to talk yeah, to really, you guys. Really looking forward to the next time we can come down to Portland and, and play on some of those boards. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that day as well. Maybe we'll even, you know, be able to share a beverage after. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, maybe. We might have to leave Mitchell and his Easterlings outside, but we'll, we'll enjoy the beverage. <laughs> yeah. Nonsense. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's sign off. Peace.